we've had a massive shift in just one month in the housing market. And so that makes tracking uh, all of this data and understanding what's going on in your backyard if you're looking at buying a house or an investment property really, really important because we're going to see some pretty big price declines. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. I'm back here with Nicholas Jurley. Nick appeared on this channel about a month ago, and we talked about his predictions that the housing market may be in for a correction possibly as large as 30%. Well, I had a ton of feedback from that video asking me to have Nick back on again and give us his latest read as things are moving pretty quickly now in the housing market. Um, Nick and I have just come from recording a conversation as his, on his channel, much more at the macro level, you know, what's happening in the macro economy here. Um, highly recommend you guys check that out after this video is done. I'll give you the link at the end so you can go watch that. Um, but anyways, Nick, phenomenal to have you back on the channel here. Really enjoyed the conversation that we got started over on your channel. Um, looking forward to doing part two with you here. Yeah, thanks for having me back on, Adam. I mean, uh, it was great to be on your channel a month ago talking about the housing market and my predictions. And a month later, a lot has changed, as I'm sure many of your viewers know. And, you know, if you guys don't know, uh, you know, basically everyone now is acknowledging that the housing market's in a correction is a downturn. Even companies like Realtor and Redfin are acknowledging this and are predicting price declines. So we've had a massive shift in just one month in the housing market. And so that makes tracking uh, all of this data and understanding what's going on in your backyard if you're looking at buying a house or an investment property really, really important because we're going to see some pretty big price declines. Yeah, it, I mean, that's a great point, right? I mean, it was just a little over a month ago when you were on and, you know, what we were talking about was completely bucking the narrative, you know, uh, out there. It was the housing still strong, you know, setting new record housing prices every month. Um, the, the mainstream media did not seem worried at all about a housing correction, but now you're seeing it everywhere. In fact, um, uh, Mark Zandi, who is a really conventional economist, and he, he follows the housing market. He's one of the most quoted uh, economists sort of in the when the media writes about the housing market. Um, he says that he thinks that the economy, the housing market is now entering a full blown correction um, because mortgage rates have risen, risen so fast um, that he's seeing you know, fast shrinking sales volume. And I think it's something like 19 percent of listings in May uh, had price reductions on them, yeah. which you know, price reductions was a word we hadn't heard in years in the housing market. Yeah. So it really does seem like the, the, the temperature of the housing market is cooling way faster than anybody could have imagined just a couple of months ago. Is that, is that really what you're seeing? Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, I just want to give a little perspective before we get into the cities that are going to have the biggest decline, because you know, a lot of people are blaming this housing downturn on increased mortgage rates, which is true to an extent, right? The higher mortgage rates uh, are leading to declining affordability. But the real problem in the housing market is that home prices are too high, right? You know, you could have either higher home prices or higher mortgage rates or higher or lower home prices, lower mortgage rates. We now have the combination of both, which is creating the issues. But it's really the fact that home prices adjusted for inflation are at their highest level of all time uh, here in 2022, even higher than they were back in the bubble of 06. And so when the prices are that high, that's really what makes 
the escalating mortgage rates really problematic. It's not just that the mortgage rates are going up, it's that the prices are also 30 to 40% higher, and that means that no one can afford it, and it naturally means that home prices are going to start coming down, particularly in certain markets, especially across the Sun Belt. I think there's major housing crash risk across many Sun Belt markets that doomed, uh, boomed during the pandemic, and now we're seeing, just in a month, massive signs of slowing massive increases in inventory. You said 20% price cuts across the US. That's an accurate figure. In some markets, it's over 40%. And so it's really uh, wow. unbelievable. I almost, you know, I didn't even expect things to move this quickly. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, let me let me throw one thing into the mix you didn't mention there, which was inventory. Because yeah. uh, we, we've had, and we talked about this a little bit the last time you were on, but we've had this narrative that, oh, no, 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 housing prices are fairly valued because there's this persistent lack of inventory here in the US. Um, yeah, I've been hearing from folks like uh, housing analyst Ivy Zellman that you know, there's been a lot in the pipeline, especially in a lot of these popular sunshine state cities that have been growing super fast. Um, you know, Housing builders aren't idiots. They're looking to where the demand is and they're, they're gunning to build properties there. Um, you know, before we had all, all the issues that have just happened in the past couple of months, you know, Ivy was saying, hey, there's a lot of inventory that's about to come online in those, those areas. Well, now it looks like it's set to come online as prices are cooling fast. I mean, that's yeah. almost kind of the worst case scenario, right? Nasty combination. Uh, and just for the figure, so everyone knows, we have over 1.6 million homes and apartments actively under construction right now, shovels in the ground, uh, buildings going up 1.6 million, uh, highest level in US history, split roughly equally between single family homes and apartment units. And, uh, you know, it's, in my opinion, I've done several videos on this on the, my YouTube channel, Reventure Consulting, home builders are going nuts. They're going crazy right now because you know there's this narrative that there's a structural shortage of housing. It's not true. The inventory you're talking about, yes, it's low, but that was always a temporary transient situation due to unique circumstances that occurred during the pandemic, like artificially low interest rates, stimulus checks, and by the way, foreclosure and eviction moratoriums that led to three and a half million or four million fewer foreclosures and evictions. So you right. combine all that, you're going to get lower inventory. That doesn't mean that the structural inventory and the amount of homes uh, over are nearly 100 million in the housing market is too low. And the big mistake that home builders made is that they bet that you know this inventory on the market would stay low. So they're building 1.6 million homes. Just as you said, there's a massive reduction in demand, particularly in the South. New data from the U.S. Census Bureau shows that new, uh, new home sales for newly constructed homes are down 35% year over year in the South, which is nuts. Wow. Because, you know, that includes Texas, Florida, Tennessee, all the states pretty much that everyone's moving to, new home sales are down 35%. That's a scary figure for the housing market in the Sun Belt, because it suggests a couple of things like, you know, what you mentioned about rising mortgage rates and you know, what I mentioned about higher home prices, the affordability isn't there, which is causing buyers to drop down. But it also suggests that a lot of the markets that people said that everyone was just gonna keep moving to forever. Well, that movement is slowing. Fewer people are now moving into Charlotte, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, Austin, Texas, than they were two years ago. And that's a big problem uh, because of all, all of the home building that's going on. Yeah, and I want to give you credit for this because when we talked a little over a month ago, 
you made the prediction that the work from home movement, um, not that it was over, but that it was going to slow dramatically in terms of the, the, the population flows of people who were saying, all right, I'm just going to be a work from home guy now, and I'm just going to move to whatever metro I feel like working in at this point. Yes. So it seems like that's beginning to materialize. For sure. That's definitely materializing. People are getting called back into the office. And you know, ultimately, too, the affordability is a huge component, right? Where you know, I would say a place like Charlotte or Atlanta or Austin isn't like the first choice on a lot of people's lists who are looking to move from, uh, say, New York or L.A. But the reason it, they were high up on the list two years ago is because they were actually really cheap, right? But now these markets are not cheap anymore. And in some cases, you know, places like in Tampa and Miami and Florida are as expensive now as Boston when you look at the uh, relationship of local wages to mortgage payments and rents. And so now that these affordable markets have become so expensive, it's just a natural progression that fewer people are going to want to move there. And ultimately, if you zoom out and you look at 30 years, 40 years of data on the U.S. housing market, this is actually how the housing cycle and the migration cycle works. They're linked together. There's periods where people move a lot, like we had over the last couple of years, and then home builders build a lot, and then prices go up a lot, but that's never really able to sustain itself, especially in an era of interest rate increases and inflation and Fed tightening. And so I think the big wake-up call here for a lot of uh, people looking in the sunbelt to buy a home is that a lot of the narratives that you were told over the last three years, they might have been true at the time, but they are no longer true anymore, and that these places are very risky to buy real estate right now in 2022. Yeah. And so it's interesting because it really does all come down to affordability at the end of the day. Right. And people have been, I think people have been asking the question for years, like God, man, housing prices just keep going up year after year. I mean, housing prices went up 20% in the past year. I mean, bananas. Right. And, you know, people have said, wondered, you know, how long are people going to be able to afford this? But they were able to afford it much longer than most folks could have imagined because you had the cost of mortgages being driven down to you know the lowest they'd ever been. You had institutions coming into the residential real estate market in a way they never had before, all cash offers. You had you know deep-pocketed Asian buyers looking to get their money out of Asia and just park it in a house here almost as like a savings bank, right? You had all of these trends that were conspiring to get prices uh, higher than anybody really ever thought that they could go. And everybody just sort of began thinking, okay, well, I guess I guess we're in this new world order where everybody's just able to afford higher houses than they used to be able to. But at the end of the day, you know, fundamentals matter, and uh, housing should be a function of what the local incomes can sustain. I don't have the data here, Nick. You probably know it at least in your brain better than I do. But the multiple of housing to income, house prices to, to income. Um, has has got to be substantially higher than kind of the the past. Oh yeah, years, it's crazy. Right? Uh, the main metric I use is uh, looking at home values to the average worker wages in the economy, and you know obviously it depends on where you are. But pretty much in every market, we've seen a massive increase on average in America. I think right now we're around six to six and a half times what the average worker makes in a year of what a home value should be. The long, the long run average is closer to four. And there's certain markets that are just out of control. I mean, Austin, Texas, I mentioned is one of them. Salt Lake City, Denver, uh, Seattle. These are markets where 
you look at that relationship of home prices to wages and it makes no sense. And for so long, people said, well, oh, that's okay that it doesn't make sense because interest rates are low and there's all these wealthy people who work in tech who are just gonna buy these homes, but no longer are those two things a reality. And now, you know, ultimately, you're gonna to start to see the fundamentals of the local market matter a lot. So it's not enough to say anymore, oh, uh, the wage growth isn't good enough in Austin or the job growth isn't good enough, good enough. People said, well, that didn't matter the last three or four years because of all these people moving in. Uh, the situation is changing very rapidly and the local fundamentals are really important. As you said, it's actually kind of simple. It's almost beautifully simple, the housing market. What's the home price? What's the mortgage rate? How much money do people make? And what's the relationship of home building to job growth? If you know those metrics, you can feel pretty good about projecting whether the value of your housing market is fair and fundamentally supported. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of my main point here where it seems like over the past decade, we had these new props introduced that would be pushing you know, housing prices ever higher and supporting them, but now those props are being taken away, right? And I said, you know, it all comes down to affordability. Well, there's two big dynamics going on. One is what you said is just sort of a natural boom bust where high prices are the cure for high prices, right? Prices get so high that people eventually say, okay, I'm not going to move to that market anymore because it's now too richly priced. And those high prices also attract developers and builders who bring on new inventory. And eventually, you know, the increased inventory brings down prices in general too. But you've got that going on, which is just sort of the natural cycle. And at the same time, you have the Fed out there now actively trying to dampen demand uh, and to create a negative wealth effect to get people to spend less in its efforts to bring inflation down. So you actually have really two, have two really powerful forces there that are conspiring to try to make you know uh, housing prices a lot lower than they are today, correct? That's correct. That's correct. It's like, those are some major headwinds. And I don't know if people truly appreciate how big those headwinds are. And, um, you know, I, I feel kind of, I think the situation is this, and I, I don't want to try to scare everyone who's in the housing market. Like if you own a home, it's not necessarily going to be doomsday, right? Especially if you're someone who's owned that home for five years or seven or eight years, and you've built up a lot of equity, you can probably afford to withstand uh, declines in values. But I think it's going to be the people who like bought in the last two years whether it be an investor or a new home buyer or someone who bought with like um, an FHA loan with uh, low money down. These are the people that unfortunately are going to be most in the crosshairs of this tightening that's going on right now. And, you know, I think nationally home prices can go down by more than 20%. And I think that's up to 40% in certain markets that are most at risk. And so there's going to be a lot of pain produced in the housing market uh, by these shifts that are occurring. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, the people who bought over the last couple of years had a good down payment and didn't overextend themselves uh, when they made that purchase. Right. Or got a fixed mortgage and aren't yes. in danger of, of, you know, having it renew, adjust upwards into the much higher prices that we have today or, or may have even more so tomorrow. Yeah, great points there, Nick. And, and I also just want to add, too, in, in terms of the, the big forces that you're out there battling in this market right now. There's a third one too, which is, you know, I talked about how the Fed is raising the cost of capital here by rising interest rates. Um, but it is by depressing demand, the Fed may potentially be bringing us into a recession here. And so if it turns out that, that there are substantial job losses connected with a recession, well, that's another big issue that's going to be yanking down those housing prices because you're just going to have 
fewer buyers yeah, out there. Right? For sure. That's a great point and really important to consider because we are already seeing kind of a big shift in the housing market and a correction start with an unemployment rate of 3.5% and over 11 million job openings. So what does this correction in the housing market or crash in the housing market look like in a recession where the unemployment rate goes to 6%, right? Which would actually be still historically low. Then you start seeing how there's real problems that can really develop. Uh, as this recession unfolds. And another thing that people completely have forgotten about, and I almost forget about it sometimes, is the foreclosure backlog. You know, we have, um, there's over 700,000 fewer foreclosures in 2020 and 2021 than we had in 2018 and 2019. Over 700,000 fewer, and that doesn't even account for all the defaults that occurred during the pandemic. So right now we have 700,000 seriously delinquent loans that haven't been foreclosed on. And we have more and more people defaulting by the day because the mortgage rates have gone up and layoffs have started. So we are going to see a huge wave of foreclosures hit this market over the next 12 months. It's not going to be a 2009 level wave of foreclosures, but it doesn't have to be. If only 500,000 to a million foreclosures hit the market in the next 12 months, that's going to be enough on its own to increase inventory in the housing market by 30 to 50%. So when you really start looking at the full picture here, recession, foreclosure backlog, the market's already slowing. You know, you, you do see a scenario, and a couple months ago, I would have said, no, this is impossible. But you're starting to see a scenario where this housing crash could be worse than the one in 2008, at least in terms of value declines. Maybe not worse in terms of people losing their homes, thankfully, but value declines, certainly, uh, we're starting to get to a level where we could see that. Okay, yeah, interesting. And you know, we talked a little bit about this in, in the video that we just recorded on your channel. Um, but that, yeah, it, it, we, we, we may not have sort of the systemic instability that we had with all the horrible loans that had made, you know, in the real estate market back in 2008, but the, the speculative excess that's gone into housing prices is in a lot of markets substantially more now than it was back then. That's your point. We could have sort of 2008 style, uh, value vaporizations this time around. For sure. Um, and, but, and I think I think up until a couple of months ago, just people were they just were not thinking that that was even possible. No, there, a couple of months ago, the, the, the idea almost every single housing economist two months ago said there's no, uh, no, we're not in a bubble. There's not going to be a correction. And then two months later, they changed their opinion, which is kind of amazing uh, to me. But yeah, so basically in the 08 to 2012 crash in the housing market, home values in America declined by 23 percent on average. But then there was like a wide variation among cities. Like Vegas was down 60%. Pittsburgh didn't go down at all. And so I think we'll see a, a somewhat of a tightening in that variation. I don't necessarily think we're going to see a 60% decline market this time around. But I think we're going to see a bunch of 30 to 40% decline markets. And I think we're going to see that average US home price decline close to 20, 25%. And we're going to see pretty much every market have a correction. Since every market has participated in this run-up over the last two years, we're going to see every market go down by at least 5 to 10%. The question is, is your market going to be a 10% correction or is it going to be a 40% correction? All right. And that, that's a great point to, to note for people. So in terms of sort of the wide swath of asset classes, um, we've many people have called the period that we're now in the everything bubble, right? Because everything has gone up. You're saying it's kind of an everything bubble in real estate markets as well, where at this point, the question is, is it's not, is my market going to go up or down from here? The question seems to be 
pretty much like, no, they're all going down. It's just a matter of how much is yours going to go down. Correction Obviously, some or will crash. go down a little and yeah. some will go down a lot, depending upon their local characteristics. Uh, and my guess is it's going to be worse in the metros where if you look at the price charts, um, price appreciation charts, you know, over the past 15 years or so, it's the ones that have vaulted way above their 2007 right. extremes, correct? That's right. That's what you got to really be concerned with is when it's a double, it's a double whammy here. If you look at a city and its home prices today are way above what they were in 07 at the peak of the last bubble, and they're building more homes than they were in 2007, that is the double whammy uh, for the markets that are going to crash the hardest. Uh, because, you know, there are certain markets like, like a Chicago, let's bring up Chicago, Midwest city, home values in Chicago adjusted for inflation are actually lower today than they were in 07. And they're building 70% fewer homes in Chicago now than they were 15 years ago. So, you know, Chicago is probably not going to crash, right? 10% correction maybe. But then you start talking about a Dallas, Texas. Dallas is building more homes today than it was in 07. And home prices are, I don't know how, I don't have the exact statistic, but are well more than double what they were 15 years ago. So what okay. do we think that adds up to? We have a lack of affordability in Dallas now, and we have tons of supply coming to the market. And so that's really the double whammy you got to look out for in your city is how much have the prices gone up in the last 15 years, and then how much uh, home building there is. Okay. Um Great. And, and you and I, when we talked a few days ago, we're kind of kicking this idea around. I just want to revisit it with you, which is, you know, in the real estate space, there are, um, you know, if you're an investor uh, in, in residential, uh, you know, like apartment, apartment buildings, um, you have, you know, A, B and C properties and the A properties are the you know, the top of the line ones, the C properties are the sketchy ones and the B's are in the middle. And a lot of people like to go after the B sweet spot. Because um, in, in a market that's on fire, you have a lot of people from the sea level who are competing to try to get up into your B properties. And in a recession, you have people who are getting out of their expensive A properties into your B property, right? Is there an analog to be made like that with, with housing markets as well? Meaning that, you know, are there, are there some markets that are going to fare better here because yes, they're going to, they're, they're going to lose, you know, uh, they're going to have a certain price correction of people that are maybe leaving that market, but then they're going to have people that are arriving at the market because they're coming from a more high-priced one like a Dallas, say. Yeah, 100%. I love that analogy right there um, because it, I think the housing market works very much that way. And before telling you the cities that I think are kind of that, that B city today that would be if you want to buy the better city to buy, I want to give some context. And that's that you know Austin, Phoenix, Vegas, uh, Atlanta, they were the B city. They were the B years. city. They yeah. were the B city three or four years ago, right? Where they were really affordable when, when you looked at the metrics, both for a buyer from LA and for a buyer in Phoenix. Phoenix was affordable for both the out of town and the local buyer four years ago. And that has changed. So those cities that were the desirable B cities are no longer, they're too expensive. And ultimately values are gonna have to come down for them to regain that status of basically kind of attracting local buyers and transplant buyers. I think we have a new list of those cities today and they're gonna be in markets that you know, are a little bit unconventional. You're not gonna really hear people talk about Oklahoma City too often in uh, national housing market reports, but that's a city I think is uh, in a great position for the intermediate to long-term to really benefit because uh, the typical home value in Oklahoma City is $200,000. That's one third the amount of Austin. 
and it's six hours up the road. Um, and it's a city that's growing actually has positive population growth and not too much home building. And so this is a place where the local, you know, an 18 year old or a 22 year old in Oklahoma City, a lot of them can afford to buy homes because they're so cheap. But you're going to have now the transplant from Dallas or Austin moving there. This is a city that still offers uh, nice amenities, good weather uh, outside of some tornadoes. Uh, and, you know, uh, the people can afford a home. Uh, I think another market would be Columbus, Ohio would be a place that I think is really well positioned as a city that has a lot going on, has a university, uh, Ohio State has a good medical presence, has some tech, not too much tech, but a little bit of a tech scene. And the typical home price there is about $250,000. So if you know, you're know you someone potentially in the Northeast, right? Like New York, and before maybe you were looking to uh, Raleigh, Raleigh's gotten too expensive. Columbus is not too far away and you can afford to buy a home there. It's that B market that you discussed. It's gonna see increased migration into the future, uh, even though it still might see a correction. It's not that these markets won't see a correction. It's that they're better positioned for both the short and the long term. All right, great. Um, uh, I, I just really appreciate your ability to give people specifics here, Nick. And of course, that's the benefit of the fact that you just look at housing data all day long. Um, yes, very much so. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, well, look, um, we talked about this a little bit again in the, the interview that ran before this on your channel um, that everybody watching, I'll direct you on how to go watch that after this one. Um, but, uh, you know, the 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 uh, average homeowner, average consumer is really getting squeezed right now, right? So uh, cost of living is going up fast, right? We have hot inflation. Um, just the cost of financing is going up, right? Mortgage rates have pretty much doubled since last summer, right? And seem like they're going to go even higher from here. And um, that would be okay if their wages were keeping pace, but they aren't. Real wages have been going down for the past two years. In fact, they've decreased, I think, in every one of the past 13 months, right? So, um, so people are just able to afford less and less and less. And, and the reason why this is so important is, as you and I have talked about a lot, um, in housing, what really matters is the marginal buyer, sure. right? Is, is the person that is showing up to buy the next property, are they willing to, to pay those current prices? Are they willing to bid higher for them? or can they only afford to pay something lower? And the reason why the marginal buyer matters so much in housing is because you have a, a neighborhood, if all the houses are roughly similar, the market value of all of those houses is determined by the last transaction that was made, right? You only need one, the, the next buyer to only be able to pay 80% of the price for all homes to go down 20% in value, right? So That's right. what are you seeing right now as you sort of look at, the marginal buyer in a lot of these markets. I mean, I guess you mentioned that we're seeing more price declines and stuff like that, but are, are we beginning to see the marginal buyer buckle here? Yeah. I mean, the marginal buyer for like the regular homeowner, I mean, they're, they're okay. I want, I want to draw a little bit of a distinction here. The marginal buyer is a regular homeowner on homes above, let's just say $500,000, you know, on average, uh, they're gone. Like the, you know, the higher end of the, the housing market right now, homes that are more expensive are sitting on the market for weeks, for months, they're cutting the price. There is still a certain level of demand at the lower price point. You get to a $300,000 home or a $400,000 home. Actually, because the mortgage rates have gone so up so much, that pushed 
the 500,000 buyer into the 400,000 bucket. So we are still seeing some uh, strong demand in certain markets at that like affordable starter home type price point. However, I think at some point that demand is even going to start to evaporate as well as more as more and more people realize the housing market's going down, they're not going to want to buy an asset that's going to depreciate in value right after they buy it. There's another headwind also though going on for that marginal buyer. And that's that we're starting to see investor demand in the housing market take a hit. This is uh, something a lot of people aren't talking about. Like I still see news articles talking about like, oh, you know, uh, all the investors are buying up homes in Florida and Arizona, which is still happening. But we're starting to see a drop in investor demand. We originally saw this in December, 2021, right at the end of 2021, there was a drop in investor demand. That looks to be continuing so far this year, because it turns out, even though investors buy in cash, they actually are pretty interest rate sensitive. Because even when they buy in cash, the source of that cash is often a credit facility from a bank that's floating rate. So you increase the short-term interest rates that increase the cost of borrowing. So I think this is going to be the next big story in the housing market over the next three months that you're not hearing about now, but you're going to hear about is that the investor buyer is not is going to, number one, drop out of the market uh, to, to a big extent, return to pre-pandemic levels. But then number two, the investors are going to turn to sellers. And that's another domino on top of what we're seeing right now, you know, especially in a market like a Phoenix or a Vegas or in Atlanta, these markets are dominated by investors. And right. Uh, well, and the investor has an itchier trigger finger, right? So you, 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 you have some big funds that own tons of properties and yeah, maybe they can hold on for longer, but if it's, if it's a mom and pop investor, right, where you only have one or two other investment properties and you're beginning to get nervous about your financial situation, one of the easiest things to do is just say, well, we're just going to put that thing on the market, right? Great point. Is the investor is looking at the home as a profit center, right? A regular home buyer is looking at the home as a place to live. So uh, a regular home buyer, if, a, for instance, like a market has more regular home buyers, like a Milwaukee, it's going to be more stable because there's less of these people buying and selling who have an itchy or trigger finger, as you say. Uh, if uh, a market is 30 plus percent investor purchases like a Phoenix, or in Atlanta or Jacksonville is another big market where there's a lot of investors. That market has so much downside that it's hard to see in the moment. But like these investors, they all kind of change their mind at the same time. Like you said, the smaller ones are going to sell first because they say to themselves, well, my cash flow yield is actually pretty low. Something a lot of people don't know. The rental yields in today's markets are at record lows. So it's not as if people renting their properties out are, are earning great returns. Interesting. So, and I'm just curious, why is that? Because I think we just figured we did it because they were minting money. Yeah, uh, they did it because the Fed was artificially lowering interest rates. And basically okay. that lowered the return hurdle for an investor. So if um, you know the 10 year bond is 1.5%, like I think it was maybe 18 months ago or 12 months ago, uh, that makes earning 3% on a rental kind of attractive. But if the 10 year bond goes to 3% like it is today, well then earning 3% on a rental isn't as attractive. Yeah, and that's and so, a fantastic point. So that then turns the return exp expectations more to appreciation, right? If the cash flow yields are lower, it's gonna be more of an appreciation return expectation. And once the appreciation starts going down, there's no incentive to hold. Right, and, and um, sorry to interrupt you, but, but I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's an incentive to sell. In other words, to be a first mover? Yes, 100%. Right? You know, you don't want to be the last, the last person on the block to sell. Yeah, after the price has already come down, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You want to be out. Yeah, 
so the psychology in the housing market is really turning right now. And you made a good point. The smaller investor is going to be the first one out and they're already out or going out of the market as we speak. But there is a potential bombshell with the bigger investors that no one's really talking about. And that's that these bigger hedge funds and private equity firms that raised oftentimes billions of dollars to buy homes. These funds are buying homes right now at sky high prices and record low rental yields. And they are not, I'm almost positive they're not making money right now on these assets. They're banking on continued appreciation and rent growth. Pay attention to the rent growth because that's been going up in America over the last year. It's starting to slow. And as the rent growth slows, all of a sudden, a lot of these big investment funds that basically promised their investors and promised the banks who were funding their credit lines that they were able to grow rent by 5 to 10% a year and make them money, they're going to realize that's not happening. And right now, the four worst rent growth markets in America where rents haven't grown in the last six months are Phoenix, Vegas, Jacksonville, Atlanta, which also happen to be the biggest corporate investor markets. Interesting. So- as the rent growth is slowing, they're, they're not going to be able to increase their yields. And then, oh, yeah, majority of the capital for these plans is uh, coming from bank credit facilities that are floating slash adjustable rate. They float over the short-term interest rate. So every time the Fed hikes the short-term interest rate, that increases the cost of borrowing and financing these acquisitions. So this is a potentially like devastating combination where I think we could see not only these big investors stop, stop buying, I think we're going to see some of the banks funding these credit facilities, which are banks like Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo, say, uh, liquidate. Like, yeah, you're cut uh, off. Yeah. Margin call. You know, you know, uh, you're going to need to pay us down by 20% because the market has shifted. And when that happens, all bets are off. And so right, because... I, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out or if it's going to play out like I'm saying, but it's a risk factor that um, I think in certain cities could be equivalent to the subprime crisis, but it's obviously not quite working the same way. But, right, uh, right. And, and I, I can understand the logic of that, right? So, you know, these big funds that have hundreds, thousands of properties in a metro area get in trouble and they just have to dump a ton of inventory on the market at once. And, and they're almost kind of price insensitive on what it sells for. We just need to get something for it, right? We have a margin call to meet or whatever, right? Yeah, and, and so back it, to your it, point, Who's the marginal buyer when investment firms are dumping properties on the market and then right. not buying them? I mean, that's that's crazy. And um, yeah, so this is that's a risk factor that, you know, it's me speculating. I want to be clear, but um, it's a risk factor that's definitely there. Yeah. And, and what's so, important about that is it's 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 a new risk factor, right? It's one right. that we don't have a lot of history of going through a potentially substantial real estate downturn with a good chunk of the inventory held by institutional investors. Yeah, like this, right. right. Never before has this happened. And again, it's almost consistent with a lot of the other things we saw during the pandemic. It's like on the upswing, these things were used as a justification to say why prices would continue going up, you know, like remote work. That, that meant to a lot of people that prices would keep going up in Sunbelt housing markets or, you know, the investors buying meant that prices would keep going up. But when these trends revert, it's almost like they cause the down. They will cause the downturn to be worse. Um, so it's a it's a really interesting trend. And I, just real real quick, we've been talking about Sunbelt housing markets predominantly, but I just want to touch upon like you know, we should talk about California because I know you're okay. in California. You probably have a lot of viewers in California, and this is a housing market that behaves kind of differently. It's there's not a lot of new home building. Uh, there's some investors, but the investors tend not to be institutional. Uh, but this is one of the, the states we're actually seeing the biggest declines in prices first. 
which is really interesting. I did an analysis looking at all the listings on Zillow in Alameda County near San Francisco and looking in Orange and San Diego County in Southern California. And we're seeing, you know, we're not necessarily having like a huge inventory spike in California yet, but we're seeing that the listers that are coming to market are getting way more realistic about the prices that they're asking. And it's almost as if a lot of the listers are coming to market today at a value 15% below where they would have gone a year ago. Uh, and, and saying to themselves that, you know, I'm not even thinking that that appreciation over the last year was real. I just want to sell my property 15% uh, less than what someone was doing a couple months ago. So we're starting to see that happen in California right now. So I just wanted to bring uh, attention to that. Well, that's really interesting. And, and as you and I were talking about earlier uh, before this video, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the tech industry here has been getting hit really hard, a lot harder than people understand just looking at the NASDAQ, which is still down 20%, which is no, you know, it's no small amount. Um, but obviously tech drives a huge part of the California economy, at least up here in Northern California, where I live. And there are companies there that are down 50, 60, 70, 80%, right? And so I remember when I interviewed you a month ago, you, you gave a, an interesting anecdote about somebody, a renter whose rent was was increased because the the investor that owned the property said our Netflix portfolio got whacked. And yeah. so we need to jack your rent up to help yeah. us get no, by. It was actually, the anecdote was our net our Netflix portfolio got whacked. So we have to sell the property. So you need sell to sell the property. Out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even worse. <laughs> even worse. So I, I'm just wondering if we're, we're now beginning to see sort of the rippling through of, of some of the demand destruction, you know, um, correction and other asset prices that are going to hit real estate, because we're, we're kind of talking about real estate in the bubble, but there's a lot of other factors here that can impact the real estate market that are, you know, have nothing to do necessarily with the mortgage rate, but may have yeah, everything to yeah. do with the employers in that area, right? That's a great point. And it's a California in markets like Seattle, which are close by and markets like Salt Lake and Boise and Portland, they're, they're getting hit with a double whammy right now. Uh, because their demand source is often a tech-employed home buyer who has a lot of money and maybe had big stock options, worked for Netflix or Facebook, and now all of a sudden those stock options are worth 40 50% less and they can't afford the down payment, right? Or worse, potentially they get laid off, right? So that restricts just the absolute level of demand. But these markets are also historically very interest in mortgage rate sensitive. So the higher the price point goes, like we all know homes are very expensive in California. The higher the price point goes, the more sensitive that market comes to uh, increases in mortgage rates. Because mortgage rates, yeah. it's already such a small pool of buyers, right? That can afford, the, you know, uh, I think on average to buy a home in the San Francisco metro area, you, your payment's like 90 grand, like mortgage, property taxes, all types of stuff. So, you know, if the mortgage rate goes from three to five, uh, that payment, you know, goes absurd. It goes to like 130 grand. So these high-priced kind of Pacific West Coast markets are getting hit with that tech issue uh, and the tech crash, as well as uh, they're the most mortgage rate sensitive markets as well. And so that's why we're seeing uh, the biggest kind of price declines there first and the biggest price cuts. Okay. So, um, you know, a big part of this channel, uh, Nick is to really help people sort of see where the puck's headed and then, you know, do so, so that they can then take prudent steps in advance, um, whatever the projected implications of where that puck is going to be are. And so here we've just been talking about, I think making a pretty good case that housing is going to have a tougher time ahead of it than, than at least I think a lot of the country expected up until at least very recently. So for, 
homeowners, for property investors, for renters that are watching this, do you have any sort of just general, you know, advice for them to consider at this point in the timeline? Yeah, of course. So if you're an existing homeowner, uh, a great question to ask is, do I like my home? I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but it's really important to understand because if you're someone who loves your home and you can afford your mortgage payments, I would say don't pay attention really to the movements and home values because your home might be worth 20% less on Zillow, but that doesn't really affect you if you like right. your home and you're going to stay there for the long term and you can afford If you're going to be there for 10, 15 plus years, it doesn't really matter what the next couple of years do. Exactly. It's like as long as your notion. job is safe. If your job is safe, right? It's that whole notion like, oh, your, your stock portfolio, you should check it once every year or two years, right? You could think of that the same way as your, your home value. Now, if you're someone who bought more recently and who has a higher leverage loan, like you only put 5% down and you bought in the last two years, you might want to, and maybe you don't like your home because you had to settle. A lot of people had to settle when they bought over the last two years. It would be wise to keep uh, you know, arms of what's going on in the market and decide maybe whether it would be time to sell and to take the profit off the table that you might've built up and to rent. Uh, not saying that's necessarily something you have to do, but something to consider if you're a high leverage home buyer from the last couple of years. Uh, and then as far as uh, investors go, cash flow is king. Cash flow in a higher interest rate inflationary environment is what's most important, especially in the housing market. And so, you know, if you're buying a property, uh, pencil out what the, the rents are going to be day one, and you need to be earning return day one. If you're having to wait for rent growth and you're banking on a certain amount of appreciation to make the deal work, that just doesn't make sense in today's market. So cash flow is key. A lot of markets in the Midwest and Deep South have good cash flow. Uh, and then finally, renters. If you're a renter right now, uh, I think a lot of renters feel way less FOMO to buy. Um, but you know, my recommendation is wait it out. You are under no pressure anymore to buy. I think the rent increases are going to start going down over the next uh, year across America. And uh, you're going to need to see how this higher inventory situation plays out in the housing market before pulling the trigger, because it's not only about lower prices. It's also about finding the home that you like and that best suits you. Right. And so that's the beauty of more inventory on the market It's not only you're likely to get lower price, you're going to have more of an option uh, to find the home that you really like and are going to want to stay in for a long time. And we're just getting started with these inventory increases. So inventory is still historically low. Let's wait six months and see what the situation is in six months before uh, deciding to buy if we're a renter. All right. Fantastically practical guidance there, Nick. Thanks so much. So folks, if you have not gone over to Nick's YouTube channel yet, it's youtube.com slash reventure consulting. Nick puts out just unbelievably data-packed uh, videos every week about the current state of the housing market. So I'm going to have Nick back on this channel as often as I can. That's probably going to be every you know two months or so or whatnot. But if you want to be tracking things much more closely than that, Nick's YouTube channel is the best place to do that. Um, as I also mentioned, we just recorded uh, a, a sort of a, a part one of this discussion on his channel before we're doing part two here. So if you haven't watched part one yet, go over to Nick's channel right now to go watch that. Again, that's youtube.com slash reventure consulting. And remember to hit the subscribe button too when you're there. All right, folks. Well, look, if you'd enjoy, if you've enjoyed having Nick back on his channel, help support this channel too. Um, especially if you're one of Nick's people that's come here to watch this channel. Um, so just hit the like button and then click the red subscribe button as well as that little 
bell icon right next to it. Nick, it's been such a pleasure, buddy. Um, really enjoyed doing this sort of part one, part two thing with you today. If folks like it, we'll do more of it. Folks, if you like it, let us know in the comments section below. And Nick, I really look forward to having you on the channel again, uh, hopefully in the next month or two. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. Thanks for having me on, Adam.